This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. Our guest today, Mark, is a 40-year-old married transsexual man from Michigan. By day, he is a senior legal processor at a real estate law firm. He and his wife also have an Etsy business called the Winking Owl Designs. Mark describes himself as an old hippie soul, an avid animal lover, music lover, cannabis connoisseur, and lover of all humans. He started speaking publicly about some of the things going on in the LGBT community about a year ago because he doesn't agree with many of the things being pushed by the transgender ideology, especially once they brought children into the fight. He joined the board of Transsexual Unity to help others find understanding, build bridges, and find common ground through open conversation. And here's our conversation with Mark. Welcome back to Transparency. Uh, we are uh, grateful, to be doing, grateful to be joined by uh, Mark uh, today. Uh, Mark is a, a, a you know fellow trans man who uh, has uh, you know <laughs> uh, come around to, to not being so so stoked on where the movement has gone. <laughs> movement, if you want to call it that. Anyway, uh, thanks so much for being here with us, Mark. Absolutely. I especially like your background. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, so, um, so yeah, you are, uh, if you want to just, uh, kind of, kind of let us know, like, uh, how we like to start is like early life, um, <clears throat> your kind of, uh, feelings about gender, you know, what the experience of gender dysphoria was, uh, uh, things like that. Sure. So, um, I actually, uh, grew up in a Christian conservative home. So, um, so I, many I, of that have that, of, has that in common. Yeah. So, I mean, like we were the type of, you know, family that was going to church like twice a week and I was highly involved in like, you know, the, the, the teen portion of that, and, like the separate, you know, aspect of that. I did missions trips. I did a lot of that stuff. So um, early life, my parents have told me that they remember there were a few times where I kind of brought up like, hey, I think I was supposed to be a boy, like at a young age and it, not, not like a very common thing. It wasn't something I said really often. And of course they just were like, well, that's your girl. You're going to grow up to be a girl, like, you know, whatever. So, I mean, I just took that at face value and what they told me. So, I mean, I, I didn't really like most of my gender dysphoria when I was like young um, and I'll say like preteen major um, was mostly just into like the typical masculine things. And so I was just, you know, uh, I was closer to my brother and my dad, you know, I typically like to do, um, you know, things that boys like to do typically. And I was highly involved in sports from a young age. Um, like anytime, you know, I was like playing with friends or doing something like that. I was always like the dad or the son or the father role or, or some type of, you know, male role. Like anytime I was doing like play with kids and stuff like that as well. Anytime I was playing video games, it was always a male avatar. Like, you know, it was, I was kind of expressing it in like a, and that, that was my, I feel like that was my way of expressing myself through those interactions, like as a child. Um, it wasn't really until puberty hit, obviously, that um, I really started to uh, feel very uncomfortable in my body. And even at a young age, um, I had a very strong aversion to breasts, like in general, like even on like, 
you know, other people. And I would always talk to my mom and my family and say, like, when I get those, I'm cutting them off. It, it was something I said since I was really young. And, um, you know, they were just kind of like, oh, you know, you know, it's going to happen. It's just the female thing. And like, you, you know, hopefully, you know, it won't be too bad for you. And of course, I, I ended up having like double D's and I feel like I woke up like the next day, you know, and that was like highly dysphoric for me. But at the time, I didn't really know. I had nothing I, like I'm 40 now. So, you know, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. So, like, I didn't really know many gay people, let alone trans people. Like, trans wasn't a word. I didn't know about it. If anything, anything I knew about it was like the Maury Povich show, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. is this a man or a woman? Like, that's legitimately all I knew about it. And so, what more happened with me in puberty was like, I, I realized that I was same sex attracted, that I was attracted to females. And um, that was very hard for me because I really started to realize that when I was about 13 or 14. And um, that was hard to me to kind of come to a place of accepting that because of my religious upbringing. So like I had a lot of inner turmoil within myself of being like, I shouldn't be like this. I've been taught my whole life that this is wrong. This is a sin and that I shouldn't be like this. So that was very hard for me. And um, it took me like a couple of years to really come to terms and grips with that and admit that, you know, to my family. Um, and that did not go well. Like I, I admitted it to my family when I was 17 and um, yeah, I, it didn't go well. Um, they weren't very pleased at all. And I actually, uh, we stopped talking for two years and um so and it was because of the religious aspect of it and like at the time they were just like you know we we don't can condone that action and what you're doing um but you, a lot of other were, stuff happened you were only 17 did you were you living on your own in that case so um what happened was when i came out my parents actually sent me to a mental hospital um because they, in their eyes, it was a mental disorder, and they assumed that I just needed fixing, right? And wow. so I spent two months in a, men- in a mental institution. And so also, um, I was adopted, but I was a, I was adopted within the family. So like, my biological mother um, gave me to her sister. So like, my aunt, my uncle raised me, um, and they adopted me when I was five. And so um, I had a lot of early ch- early childhood trauma that I don't remember prior to the age of five. Like I have no, I don't remember anything prior to being adopted, but I do know from my biological mother and my um, biological half sister that there was emotional and physical abuse within the home, possible sexual abuse as well. Um, um, so yeah, so that also happened. And, and so what happened when, this, when I went into the mental hospital, I kind of, after that happened, I did, didn't want to go back home to my adoptive parents. So I had reached out to my biological half sister and she was more accepting. And so was my biological mother. So I actually went to go live with my biological mother for the rest of that, you know, until I was like 18. Um, and I was actually, I actually had a girlfriend at the time and she was a year ahead of me in school. So when she moved to college, I, I couldn't handle it. And I basically dropped out and followed her up to college so um that's what happened and that was most of like my early life was really just living as a lesbian um i did have there were many times throughout the years where i thought some something still off something still different about me and i couldn't really pinpoint what that was um 
so throughout the course of my life, I've been to therapy for many, many, many years. Um, but prior to my transition, which I didn't transition until the age of 34, and prior to my transition, that was in 2017. So prior to that, I was in therapy for about six years working on personal issues like others. Um, you know, um, you know, I have like, I, I, at the time I had uh, depression, anxiety, PTSD. Um, so I was working through a lot of those issues and things that I needed to work through. And through the course of all of that, I, I kind of, there were a few times I had talked to my therapist about the fact where it never was like, I think I'm trans because that still really wasn't like a huge word around. It. I was just like, I think I was meant to be a, a, a guy, you know, I've, I've always felt that way, but it was something I kind of talked about in therapy, like once or twice a year, because it was something I really pushed away. I, I was really like, I just don't, you know, and I, and for a long time, I felt like I had internalized homophobia from my upbringing. And I felt like that contributed to me, like constantly pushing that feeling away for a very long time. So went through my therapy and like working through all of my other problems. Um, this was the remaining problem that continued to like, so like, finally, I got to a place where I'd worked through mostly everything. And like, this was still very highly prevalent. And I was like, I have to deal with this. Um, so when I decided to can actually confront that issue, um, that's when, you know, I finally, I saw, I was seeing my therapist and then she had sent me to like a gender therapist specifically because she was like, um, she was LGBTQ friendly and everything, but she was like, I don't really deal with the whole, you know, gender stuff. And, you know, she's like, I don't want to lead you in a path, you know, you know, she was very like very great about it my first therapist and so she sent me to this other therapist and then I talked to her and I mean she affirmed me I mean I'm not gonna lie even in 2017 she affirmed me by the third meeting you know but um she was like you know you definitely have gender dysphoria we went through the DSM-5 and you know we talked about it she was like you definitely have gender dysphoria and I was diagnosed with gender dysphoria and then I decided that um I thought my best course of action would be to medically transition after much thought. I mean, it, it wasn't like a quick decision for me. I really sat down and did my research before I transitioned. You know, um, I tried to find as much research as I could in 20, 2017. And it's so crazy to me because compared to just 2017, when I was like trying to look up info, it was hard to find, like, especially um, female to male transition. It was really easy to find, um, male to female transition stuff, but it was really hard to find stuff relating to me. I think I found like two podcasts and like one person, you know, back then. And like, obviously I knew of like Buck Angel and um, Jazz Bono because they were like high profile people, but it it wasn't like, you know, to me, like what what's happening today with like it, it just being so prevalent like those words weren't there for me so it's like i never knew what trans was i didn't know what that was until i was old enough to really understand that and until those terms really started coming in and i did my own research um and i even watched like detransitioner videos back then which there were barely any but i tried to find everything i could because i wanted to see all sides and all aspects and everything before i made that decision because i knew this is a life altering decision. Like this, this is going to physically alter my body and my life if I choose to do this. So I wanted to make sure that I was making the right decision. So after all that research and talking to my wife and, and talking about it, I decided that that would be the route I was going to take. And so I think, uh, I think I, I came out in like, I want to say July ish of 2017. And then I started hormones in November of that.
Oh, Aaron, you're muted. <clears throat> I think this is the first time I've ever heard of someone actually being admitted to hospital for gender dysphoria. What what was that experience like, and how did how did they approach that in well, the hospital setting? It was well, I can tell you uh, back then. So this was uh, yeah, this was obviously like two thousand ish. It was like nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Um, so it was not when I went in. They they misdiagnosed me. They diagnosed me with bipolar disorder. So I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and medicated for that. And I actually lived a good 15 years of my life thinking I had that. Going years unmedicated and medicated because I have a, a um, obviously like when I'll go back a little bit. When everything happened with my family and, and like they disowned me after I went to go live with my biological mom and then I left to go live with my girlfriend after my girlfriend and I broke up, which was um, you know, only like a year after she went away to school, um, I lost, I really lost track of my life. So I, you know, I, I fell into drugs and alcohol and, and, and stuff for about four or five years. So, um, I think that was partly to do with the fact of the hospital misgendering me, me not understanding that I was bipolar because I didn't have the signs of that. Like, yes, I was depressed, but I was not manic by any means. Um, there were certain things that just didn't make sense to me. But of course, I'm having a medical professional tell me I have this disorder. So I'm just thinking, okay, you know, so I obviously, I took the medication for a few years. And then obviously, I turned to self-medication um, through uh, drugs and alcohol for many years. Um, and so so when I finally decided to go back to therapy when I was around like in my late 20s, you know, I finally got out of drugs and alcohol and I said, I really need to work on some past trauma and issues that worked, you know, came up in my life. When I decided to do that, and I went to see my therapist, you know, after I don't know how many, you know, visits, you know, she was just like, you don't, you don't have bipolar disorder. Like, you, you know, you don't have that. You definitely have depression and anxiety and social anxiety and PTSD, but you don't have that. You were misdiagnosed, you know? And honestly, that was pretty crazy to find out like in my late twenties to like live like almost half of my life thinking I had a disorder that I didn't have. So um, that really kind of turned me off. I said, I mean, I still continue to go to therapy, but it really turned me off to like uh, pharmaceutical use of, you know, like for, for depression and anxiety. So even when, I was going to therapy for a while. I first tried like herbs and stuff. I was like, I don't want to be on any meds. Like, let's try herbs and like certain, you know, supplements and stuff. And obviously I did try that stuff and it didn't work. And I did have to go on medication at a point for my depression and my anxiety. But um, yeah, I just feel like that to me, like that, it was very traumatizing to me to be put mm -hmm. in the hospital for that because I, I don't think that that was something that was needed for me. And, you know, it was to the point where, uh, like I said, I was, I was in there for almost two months and um, my parents would come, like we, we would have like weekly family therapy sessions. Um, and so they would come and there were a few times they brought my pastor and he was literally like preaching to me, like, you know, like basically trying to preach the gay away. And so honestly, it was a very traumatic experience for me. And so in many respects, I kind of understand why I went down that route of drugs and alcohol to like cope with, you know, all of that stuff, because to me, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I was like, this 
doesn't make sense. You know, I understand you can say I have this diagnosis, but it just didn't make sense to me. So later in my life to find out that I didn't have it. And then, you know, to be diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and um, a couple other things, I was like, okay, this all makes sense, you know? Um, and then finally, when I got that, that diagnosis of gender dysphoria, when I was, you know, like 34, I was like, wow, like this all makes sense. Like even related to depression, and anxiety, um, obviously my PTSD is separate, a separate, um, Thing that happened that's due to that but um also i have ocd too and i was like that kind of i was like wow i feel like a lot of that was kind of like wrapped up into uh gender dysphoria and honestly in some ways wishing maybe i would have known that sooner not that i could have transitioned sooner but just that no the knowing because like really when i found that out and had that diagnosis it really validated me as a person just to be like wow this really is a thing and like I, you know, here's something tangible for me to hold on to and say, this makes sense. Like, finally, there's something that makes sense to me, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting how people react to getting Explain that diagnosis. Yeah, because some people they find it's like, okay, finally, I have an answer to why I feel this way. And other people are really resistant to the concept of gender dysphoria being a diagnosis. And there's there's a real push, yeah. especially in recent years, right, to just do away with that diagnosis or framing the diagnosis as... Um, that that's just the distress as a result of um, other people's reactions to us and, and and not wanting to pathologize being trans. But for you, it sounds like it's like that was a helpful to get that diagnosis as an explanation for what you were experiencing. Yes, absolutely. Like to me, it was a, a very validating experience for me. And like I said, you know, about six months after I was got that diagnosis, I decided to start hormones and I started testosterone and and things started looking up for me. I mean, of course, there were uh, rough patches throughout, you know, my transition so far. There always have been. But, um, you know, um, I think that's life. I mean, it's not just transition. But uh, once I had top surgery, which was in the end of 2019, that's when I really like felt uh, true inner peace is what I call it. Like really everything for me just kind of was like, you know, just like calm and peaceful inside. Uh, and, and for me, that was, that was truly like a very healing moment for me after that happened, because I was really able to just like feel comfortable in my body and feel comfortable as myself. So, so what was the timeline of your transition? So you received the diagnosis and then how long, well, I guess, first of all, how long had you been seeing that clinician before you got the diagnosis? And then how long did it take from getting the diagnosis to starting the medical pathway? Yeah, sure. So my first therapist, like I said, I saw him for about six years. And then when we really got down to like the nitty gritty of the possibility of me being trans and all of that, and it's not that she never denied it, but she also never diagnosed it. That wasn't her field because um, she was, you know, she was just a therapist. So she was like, I have somebody that you can go see this gender therapist. And so I saw her. Um, I was affirmed by the third meeting with her um, saying you have gender dysphoria. Um, and then I would say six months after that was when I started hormones. Um, and went back then in 2017, when I started hormones, that required a doctor. Oh, well, it re- I think it was more so my insurance company that required all of this, but I had to get a letter from my therapist, you know, stating that I had gender dysphoria and why I needed to go on hormones. Um, I obviously signed an informed consent form. Um, informed consent therapy for that as well with my doctor um 
And then my doctor didn't, like, it's not like I went to my doctor um, right away and he gave me the testosterone, like, the first time. That's not what happened. I went, so I went to my first appointment. We talked about it. He basically gave me all the info. He said, go think about this. And we've set up our next meeting. We'll talk about it next time. So I did. I went home, talked about it with my wife. He gave me the informed consent sheet to read. You know, he's like, you don't have to sign it. Come back if you have any questions, blah, blah, blah. My wife and I, like, literally sat down at the table, read through the entire five, because back then it was a five-page document, um, the five-page document, and went through each of the things. And, you know, to, you know, these are the side effects. These are the possible things. To, these are the permanent things that will happen, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we sat down together and I was like, you know, this is still something I want to do. I understand the risks of all of this, uh, you know. So when I went back to see him, I said, OK, I think this yeah, I definitely want to go down this path. And he said, all right, I'm going to I need you to get a letter from your therapist. Um, and uh, my doctor also required that. So he said, I need you to get a letter from your therapist uh, for me to, you know, prescribe this and give it to you. So I did. Um, so I think it was probably from that appointment, maybe two or three weeks, I want to say I got the letter. Um, and then I went back um, and then I started hormones after that. He first ran like blood work and a blood panel and all that to make sure I was healthy enough and, you know, everything was good to start hormones. And then uh, I started the hormones then. Um, and then actually a really funny story, uh, the first six months of my being on hormones, I was trained improperly on how to do the shots. And they trained me in office, but in order to to draw the testosterone, because I do IM injections, um, they trained me to do it to like the wrong milliliter, like line. And so I was doing a tenth, a tenth of what I was supposed to be taking for the first six months, which honestly, I'm kind of grateful for, to be honest, because I feel like it, at first I was really mad, you know, I feel like we were always like in early transition. We really want things to happen fast and, you know, you're, you're motivated and so I was like really pissed off when I first found out about it but in, in the end like looking back I'm kind of happy because I, I I know quite a few people who have kind of like their doctors more so did like a wean process of weaning you on where it was like oh. a low dose mine was not like that I was like straight up like we're gonna start you at 0.5 milligrams and you know and then what I think because I went to two different offices I see a different doctor now but I started at a first cl at a clinic first and what I thought was funny was when, because I had to start going every three months, right? They would check my blood panels every three months to see how everything was going. And like, obviously my testosterone wasn't like going anywhere because I was taking a tenth of what I was supposed to be taking. And my estrogen wasn't going down. It was still in the female range. All of a sudden I was having all these issues for the first six months. And it, it really pissed me off that honestly the doctors could figure it out. Because I was the one that went, called them finally and said, look, look, because I watched some YouTube videos and stuff of people like drawing. And I was like, I think they taught me wrong. And I was like, I didn't want to fix it, correct it myself, right? So I called the doctor and said, look, I just want to come in real quick. And can you guys just show me and make sure I'm doing this right? And when I went in, I actually saw the doctor that time. And he was like, yeah, the nurse trained you wrong. And they were, they actually asked me, they were like, who is the nurse? You know, we need to make sure we're retraining these people to do that. Um, but the doctor that I saw there ended up opening his own practice. And so that's the doctor that I see now. Um, just at a different office. Um, but he's actually really well known in Michigan. His name is Dr. Powers. I don't, you guys may have heard of him, but he's actually really well known um, throughout the transgender community, especially with uh, male to female transitioners. There's a Powers method out there. It's, it's all based off what he does, um, a method that he created. So 
but yeah, and, okay. then, and then so yeah, so I was gonna say I took hormones again um, from twenty the end of twenty seventeen till um, I got top surgery two years later, or like almost two years later to the date. Um, and that was in t- November of 2019, and that required two letters, actually. Um, I required two letters, of, one from a PhD, uh, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist, and one from my therapist, uh, a therapist. So I had to get two letters for that. And then um, I have not, I've not had bottom surgery. I have no plans to have bottom surgery um, at all. Um, that's not something I want, just due to the risks and the complications of all of that. And uh, I do plan to have a hysterectomy at some point, um, obviously, but, you know, whenever that happens. <laughs> and have, have you been having any problems or complications? Yeah, that's one thing I'm torn about. Well, I mean, I do. I mean, I have. And I, and I like being honest about that. So, um, sure. So, basically, I didn't really have too much in the beginning, um, really, uh, anything going on like I said besides like that I was taking less than I was supposed to which honestly probably helped better um but about um well I could say one benefit about uh two years in I was able to go off my antidepressants so I no longer take those and haven't taken those since I am still on an anxiety medication but that's it so that's the only medication I take like based for any of my other disorders that I have and that works good um so that's nice but about I want to say two and a half years about uh, the two and a half year mark I had a huge blood pressure spike like Mm. um my blood pressure was in check the whole time I had no problems and then my blood pressure just started to go through the roof um so like currently I'm on three blood pressure medications it is regulated but I do have to take three blood pressure medications um and then I want to say year that was about year three and then three and a half he put me on an estrogen blocker because my estrogen would slowly come down but it never went into male range it was still pretty high so um he eventually put me on an estrogen blocker which helped with that so now i'm now on that um and then obviously i've dealt with uh atrophy um that's something i started dealing with probably within two years um very sporadic uh within the first two years um but it's gotten worse as the years go by. It's still not as frequent. It's not, uh, you know, horribly damaging to my life right now, which is why I haven't gotten a hysterectomy or anything like that. But there is like a topical cream you can use, which is what I use. Um, and then... Does that cause yeah, you pain? Kind of, the atrophy? Uh, yes, it does. Um, now, like I said, it's not like a constant thing. Uh, for me personally, it is... Um, orgasm based so it's for me it's following an orgasm it's like um however it does happen and i have noticed like now i'm almost i'm almost six years into my transition now so um it does come on like randomly sometimes and and to me you know the best way i always describe it is like the way you cramps used to feel but worse like as a as a female who had a period you know it just it, it's it's very hard but for me it ha- it happens pretty frequently um, you know, if I'm if if I have an orgasm, it could last anywhere from like thirty seconds to five minutes, and then be kind of sore the you know the rest of the night. And I and I don't even have like penetrative. Like I personally don't get penetrated during sex, so that's not even part of the issue. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I have the exact some... same experience. 
Do you? Yeah, yeah. And it feels, yeah, exactly. But it's not worse because I used to have incredibly painful uh, periods. Um, so I was very glad when those stopped. Um, but but yeah, that, that few years into transition, I started getting randomly that same kind of pain, uh, not knowing what it was, assuming it had something to do with testosterone's impact on my, uh, you know, uh, gynecological functioning um but yeah then for a while it was pretty consistent yeah like like post-orgasm it's just like immediately uh set in and then uh yeah then go away it, it's it's been it's i haven't had it in in quite a while and i'm really uh, grateful for that but a few years ago it seemed to be like pretty pretty consistent uh which <laughs> yeah sucks but i've never heard anyone you, else describe exactly that experience so <laughs> and do you do you use the creamer or anything for it or do you know I, I don't no 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 just just well, because it, it's, it's like i'm wondering what kind of because when i've heard people talk about atrophy they're talking about like like shrinking of the vaginal canal or something and that's not something i've ever been probably happening i'm not aware of it but it's not it's not an area that that you know um Anyway, <laughs> uh, but um, so the topical never seemed like it would be useful in any way because it's so very much internal. Um, <clears throat> so, like, what do you mean by uh, topical? How how does that work? Well, I mean, honestly, I was gonna say it's like one of the most dysphoric things to have to do. <laughs> like, um, it's not a fun thing to do, but it's basically like a tampon. I mean, you actually have to insert it and inject it. Okay. And so yeah, and so it's like a cream. So I mean, it's a dysphoric thing to do, but it does actually help. Um, it does help me personally um, if I use okay. it. Okay. Like you know, um, so that's uh, good enough. Like okay. I said, I can't. I can't explain the mechanics of why it does, but it's a, it's something I talked to my doctor about. And he said, you know, this is something we can do, and and this has worked for a lot of people. So I definitely was willing to try it, and it does work. And like I said, it's not to the point now, six year, almost six years in, it's not happening every time. Now it has actually. There was like, like I said, a, a kind of like a really like a max peak of it about three and a half years for me, where it was literally happening every single time, and it, it was. Um, but it has slowly, um, and I don't know if that's because of the use of the cream. It's not, because um, when I first got prescribed it, I had to use it like every day for the first week. And then like, uh, I think weekly for a month. And then you use it as needed after that. So um, I it basically, I try to use it, I want to say every three months, even if it's not as needed. And to me that I... It seems to really help. So right. I do still experience it occasionally from from time to time, but it is better because, um, you know, my worry was to, that, you know, I would just end up going to get a hysterectomy and getting it taken care of. So I wouldn't have to do that. So almost everybody I've talked to, and I don't know if either of you have, but everybody I've talked to who has had a hysterectomy does not deal with that issue anymore. So, um, you know, I if it ever got to a point of being, you know, a very often constant thing, you know, then I would obviously take care of it in that form and fashion if I felt the need to, but the cream does work for me. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. I have not had a, had a hysterectomy and um, I'm, I'm kind of torn. I, keep, I always go back and forth on whether or not I should, I know, you know, so many years on testosterone, it's pretty dangerous not to, but then I'm also wondering, you know, <laughs> 
you know, civilization collapse, I want to be able to produce my own hormones. So. No, honestly, I thought the same thing. Like yeah. I even, I even go, I go through the same thing of like, should I, should I not, if I do, should I, should I keep part of it? So I still can produce estrogen right. in the event that, like you said, in this cataclysmic event right. that I can't get testosterone anymore. And I want to be able to at least produce some hormone in my body. Um, so yeah. yeah, I kind of, I battle with that as well. So I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Relatable. Hmm. I had my hysterectomy almost right away. That was one of the one of the first things I did. So I haven't had the experience of atrophy, but it can be very dangerous. I mean, Buck Angel has yeah. just described his experience of almost dying from it because he yeah. developed atrophy. He wasn't really aware of it. He developed an infection and then sepsis. And was, I think he said he was in Mexico when he had to be rushed to hospital for the for the infection. Yeah, yeah, that is what happened. And like his his whole story is weird. Just like his, they like his, some of his organs fused together, and it was like it was crazy. And and honestly, like reading up about it and stuff like that, I could see how the, over that amount of time. I mean, you know, Buck Angel's about almost for thirty plus years. I can get why uh, it might have happened over that amount of time. So that is always something like it's always like a not necessarily a fear, but kind of always like this thing in my back. I'm like, I'm going to have to do that at some point. I feel like I will have to do that at some point um, because of the long-term effects of testosterone on those organs. But um, can I, can I ask you why you had it so soon? Like, were you, um, I know, like, did you have extreme bottom dysphoria? Like, is that why, like to the organs or was that no, just something you wanted, you knew you wanted right out the gate? I knew I wanted it right off the gate. I, I mean, I had a very, um, a very complicated relationship with those organs just because I had so many gyneolo gynecological problems and an, and an extreme amount of pain. And when I started testosterone, um, that a lot of that did resolve because it stopped my menstrual cycle. And, and so I wasn't having associated pain anymore, but I was just so after so many years of being rushed to hospitals because of gynecological problems. Um, I was ready. I was just, it's like, no, I want to just get rid of those organs. I want to be done with, with the pain. And because it got to a point where um, no, the pain that. was so consistent that it was, uh, there were, you know, I would sort of track and it wasn't even necessarily always in relation to having periods. So it was really unpredictable when I would get an attack of this pain and I could be out somewhere like at a mall or on vacation or something and I'd get an attack of pain and I'd be doubled over. And so it, yeah, I was just ready to not, to never have to deal with that again. I understand that. <laughs> that makes total sense. Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah, I know it's been great to hear your transition story. But so, when did you decide? Like, what were you concerned about in terms of just the public conversation that inspired you to step forward and speak publicly as you have been? Oh, sure. So that I mean, that kind of turns back to a political awakening. I, I'm a long-standing Democrat. I voted Democrat in every election since I was able to, um, and it wasn't until like 2020 when like COVID happened and stuff like that. And, and even when COVID first happened, I was very much like, got to clean everything, masks, everything. You know, I still like have a CNN watcher. Like I always admitted that, like I was big into the news, watch CNN all the time. And so um, what really started happening for me in 2020 was I just started to see, obviously this huge divide in the country of, you know, the splitting with the, with, with the election and everything. And then I started to see huge discrepancies in the news. 
So whether I was CNN or I'm watching Fox or I'm watching whoever, it's like everybody was covering a story differently. Some were leaving stuff out. Some weren't even covering it. You know, some were throwing a whole different spin on it. And I was like, I basically just internally started to go, why is why is this one house saying this and why is this one saying that and why are these numbers this and these numbers that and I really just was like what's going on here so I, I started to really like dive deep and do my own research on like news articles and stuff and I would read like 20 or 30 articles and just like find them from different news sources and read them all and you know I started to see that there was the way each certain media companies were doing stuff, where they were spending stories to, to fit like their narrative and what they were looking for. And it, uh, I, I just got to this point where, like I said, I consistently started to see that with multiple things in the media. It wasn't just trans issues. It wasn't, you know, it was COVID. It was a bunch of different things. And, and so when it got to the point where I was like, wow, I have to, now I have to case through 20 or 30 articles to really know the truth. And I'm still like, basically coming up with my own truth of what I figured out from those 30 or 40 articles um, was really like my slow awakening. Like I wasn't fully out of, out of you know, unwoke yet. That, that didn't happen. Um, but it did really kind of start to open my eyes. And I was like, like, I'm not really sure if I'm starting to believe the media now and, you know, what's really going on with all of this. And um, it probably, it wasn't until, um, I'd say probably like, uh, 2021 probably like mid 2021 was when i really started to see the the lgbtq stuff ramp up right so they started talking a, a ton about trans rights and all this stuff and, and um that's when the the medically transitioning of children came in and and like really started coming into the the surface of being talked about a lot and when that first came out i I had like a, a really quick aversion to it because I was like, I already know how many problems I have. Like, I remember reading the informed consent paper and I was like, I don't see how children like technically to me, at least in my personal opinion, uh, medical transition is still pretty experimental. It's like they had the, I'm not saying that we don't have research on like the studies of testosterone and what it does to the body we do, but they didn't do enough research of like, people after transition and how things went and like extended research, you know? And so I, I just felt like the, there were just so many things that were really just like confusing me with the whole thing. And like I said, it's immediately when kids brought up, I, I really just was like, I got to look into this more. I, I got to understand why we're, why we even are talking about this. Um, because if it were to be happening, like I said, it, it should be happening in these very rare instances because, you know, people with gender dysphoria are very rare. Like, this is not a common occurrence. Um, and then um, I actually had a, an instance in my family, like within my uh, family, where my niece went through something, you know, with the gender identity stuff. And um, she was talking to my sister about all that stuff. And um, she was talking to me about that stuff and basically she was going through like the whole like I you know I think I'm non-binary I think I'm trans and 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 I started to see that evolution of that happening in high school because she was in high school at the time and then I was really like something's up you know and so I, I as I've been doing my research that whole time I'm still trying to gather everything on like puberty blockers and everything going on and like what, you know what what is the correct course of action like what do I think is right you know in this situation 
And eventually, like through all the research and everything I compiled, I was like, oh, I just feel I need to speak out about this because, like, as a person who's transitioned and has who has had medical side effects from that, you know, even doing it as a fully consenting adult and knowing that those were the risks, I'm like, children can't, you know, to me, a child can't sit there and say, I can know that I can consent to these risks happening in my life later in my life or things that can happen. You know, I know, like I've always said before, like I made some of the worst decisions of my life from like 16 to 26. So like, I, I think we all do. <laughs> yes. So it's like, I, I, you know, you're very impulsive. You're very, you know, you, you want what you want when you want it. We were all like that. And I, I feel like in a society, like a lot of people have forgotten to like, go back and remember what you felt like at that time. You, you know, I feel like it's very simple if you just go back and try to think about what you felt like as a teenager, as a child, because, you know, like I, I, puberty is horrible for almost everybody going through it. It's not like it's just, you know, it's horrible for trans people. Like, yes, it might be worse for trans people, but it's like everybody's having a very uncomfortable time and especially women like you know girls are having a, a hard time with puberty it's not i've talked to many women who are just like yes like that's not a fun time for me why would i ever think that so um you know i feel like when it really started to turn with like pushing i felt like they were really pushing medical transition on children i was like yeah this is something i i don't think is smart and I don't think we should be doing because in my research I also read all the, re the research from other countries you know who have been doing this before us a long time before us and had started to really pull back on that and you know whether they're putting it in research settings experimental settings you know stuff like that and I was like well if all these countries have all this long-term research about this then why aren't we paying attention to what they're doing and you know they basically have given done the research for, for us and um, I just feel like we're putting kids in a very vulnerable vulnerable place right now and we're not like as a society in general like there's been a d like uh a desensitization then i can't say that word desensitization of society um with, with a lot of things going on and i feel like like i hate the fact that like trans is such a political issue right now because it's like i don't want my identity to like constantly be this political football all the time like i wanted to just transition and just like go on and live my life i'm sure you guys probably wanted to do the same you know and it's like i felt really caught in the crosshairs of that because i'm still like you know generally very early in my transition and it, 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 in a way sometimes i'm like it sucks you know to like be like hey i have to talk about my biology on a daily basis now i mean it doesn't bother me but it's just like you know i transition to not have to do that you know but it, it's an unfortunate consequence that comes with fighting for children and for their innocence and i feel like that's what i'm doing you know i feel like like i said children can't consent to these things their brains are not fully capable of making decisions like that you know it, it, anybody who's around kids they can change what they like or want you know within the drop of a hat so it's like today you know earlier this morning i want to be a dragon and, and later you know later i'm like oh i want to be a princess so it's like yeah i just feel like you can't go based off what they're saying and when i noticed that the whole affirmation like uh you know constantly affirming right away and not pushing back like that really bothered me because even in my own therapy my experience with therapy with my first therapist well, even when i brought it up we talked about it it was never like she just took that in and was like 
yeah, you're trans. That makes sense. You know, she was like, let's talk about that. Why do you feel that way? We talked a lot about my religious past and why I thought that affected that. Is Could that have affected why I feel this way? And I spent a lot of time talking about that. And so I just know that, well, I know personally that I think you need to be an adult in order to make that decision because there's just too many risks, like physical risks, obviously per permanent changes that happen to your body. And I feel like a child cannot consent to that. You know, if child can't get a tattoo, child can't serve our country, can't serve in the military, then I don't think we should have them making these decisions. And like, just let kids be kids. Like, like I've always said, I'm okay with like you allowing your child, like we should be, celebrating gender nonconformity in general you know like you can allow your child to to dress differently if that's what they feel is comfortable for them or play with different toys and stuff like that but we don't need to sit here and say just because you do those things and it means you're trans and i know like some people will listen to this story and even my story today and say oh well you know, I had those same experiences as a child where I liked male things and, you know, I always did the male avatar. You know, those are a lot of general things many trans trans people say, you know, and it's like that doesn't mean. But there's also a lot of gay women I know who have those exact same stories, you know, and so I, I can't sit here and say, like, I wish people would stop looking at us and looking at certain people and just saying, like, oh, your story resonated with me. So I'm trans. It's, it's possible you are, you know. But you really need to, like, fully be able to grasp that situation. And I, I don't even think, like, even as an 18, personally, at least, even at 18, I could have made that decision. You know, like I said, I I had no idea, like, who I really wanted to be and who I wanted to be probably into my, you know, like, 31, 32. That's really when that all started to change for me. So, I mean... I, 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 it's so hard for me to sit here and say like a nine-year-old knows exactly who they are. You know, it's just hard. And like I said, I know all the risks and benefits that come with an actual medical transition, mm -hmm. of, you know, hormones and puberty blockers and all that. Especially as, as you say, I mean, yes, there, there are risks. It's not a medically neutral decision when you decide to medicalize, but as you also said, the messaging is is quite skewed right now where young people and their families who are experiencing some some degree of cross-sex identification aren't being told that that's a very common experience amongst gay and lesbian people so if, if if that's if the if the only message that people are getting is that experience automatically means you're trans then it kind of makes sense if, for the average person to say well then i guess transition is my solution right but but they're not getting a complete message. And and so it's not really, I've been saying this over and over again, it's not really true informed consent if we're only being given partial information. No, I absolutely agree with that. And like, that's, that's one thing that's like, I, it's, um, I, I love sharing my story, but at the same time, there's certain aspects. And of course I shared them here today because I think it's important, but there's certain aspects I don't always like to share because it's like, I don't want to be that person that like they're looking at to go. Cause I did that early in my, I mean, I know I was an adult, but I looked to other trans people to kind of see like, Oh, is their experience the same? How, you know, how how could that have lined up with how I felt or something and you know and whatever so it's not like 
that's not a common experience that you're going to look to other people to kind of see like, Oh, but like, like you said, it's a very common experience for gay and lesbian people. And so to sit here and say that that is just a trans thing and that's something that they're going to do, you know, I feel like that's something too, that really brought me to the surface of speaking up too, because I feel like, you know, through all of this, we're like, it's like the erasure of gays and lesbians, you know, and it's like, we're going, we're jumping straight to like, trans and it's like no allow your child to to work through that and um you know i also think like you know all the gender ideology and the like 112 genders we have now or whatever is just way too confusing to like put on a child it's confusing to me i don't understand it all i don't i mean i don't even believe in any of it but the point is to try to sit down and understand it all it to me like all the genders and gender ideology in general is just like a ways to express yourself it's way it's either you know a way you'd like to express yourself socially out in the world and i don't understand why we have to have all these terms and labels for that like people should just be able to be who they are like and just be how they want to be we shouldn't have to have 112 ways because as much as they think they're being inclusive by having these many genders it actually forces people to put themselves into a box like you're reading all of these going which one am i in and you're you're like actually reinforcing them back into these these like four stereotypes and stuff and i like i said i I just wish none of those would have ever came up with this gender ideology because to me it's just like it's just gone too far and now that it's it's in front of children, I mean, no, I understand why we're at, why the society is where it's at today because of it, but it's just like they need to hear all sides of the story, you know, whether, like you said, like if that's from trans people and also hearing other gay and lesbian people say, or gay, lesbian, whatever, say, I had the exact same experience as a trans person, but I it wasn't gender dysphoria. Like just because I enjoyed as a girl playing with men's, you know, toys does not mean that you're trans. It could just mean that you enjoy masculine things more and that's okay. You know? And I feel like we've gotten to this point in society where it's just like, immediately it's like, you know, a boy plays with a Barbie and they're like, you're trans. And I'm like, no, maybe he just likes Barbies for literally this five minutes. And he could literally in two seconds pop that, Barbie's head off with something I did as a child. Part of that, I heard Barbie's head off and like, you know, throw it on the ground. It's like, you you don't know that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I feel like, uh, you know, uh, parents are getting, obviously, I feel like there are some parents, parents that are a little too, you know, like, too ready to be like, yeah, that's, that's what's going on. But I also feel like they're being misguided. Parents are being misguided because they're only hearing, certain ones are only hearing one side of the story. They're also being basically manipulated by some doctors and therapists to say that, oh, your child might, you know, hurt themselves or your child might end up in prostitution or a line of work that you don't like if you don't allow them to do this. And, you know, to me, that's just like, (laughs) you know, you're blackmailing parents at this point and what parent is going to want to do what they think is best for their child, you know? And I feel like that's, I feel bad for a lot of the parents. I've I talked to a lot of parents and um, it's, that's one of the things that really hurts me the most through all of this because whether they've lost children because those children have gone to Haven states, you know, like California or, um, you know, they're dealing with this within their home and they don't know how to. And 
those stories are just really sad because the parents really just want to do what's best for the child and they just feel like you know they're in a state of not being able to push back because if they do you know they're like could my child get taken away from me we have seen that in a few cases and you know it's scary to it's just scary at the times that we're in, especially, you know, I feel like parents and, and, and I want to be like, I'm not a parent myself, but I, parents should have right, you know, parents raise mm-hmm. their children. Uh, there's a reason for that, you know, and I get that, like, they, you know, a lot of people blame parents and say, well, okay, even if that you made the decision for them, though, like you weren't fully informed, but like at the side the same time like back to what you said they're only getting one side of the story and if you're only seeing that of course you're going to be like oh well yeah that's the right way that's the right way to go yeah i feel for the parents we hear really 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 scary it is we we hear from parents quite a bit you know saying things like you know they've got a young child who's gender non-conforming and the school and the physician, for example, or a counselor are all telling them, well, you have to socially transition their kid or else you're, you're a bigot and you're an abusive parent. And the parents, you know, are, are reasonable and caring and love their kids. And they're like, but maybe this is just gender nonconformity or maybe it's just going to be a gay boy. And, and so, but they feel all this pressure and being told that they're an awful bigoted parent and unless they're going to affirm and, and start transitioning their kid and, they're so desperate and they don't know where to turn. And so we ended up hearing from a lot of those parents, not that that we can really do much for them other than just sympathize with how difficult that is for them. Yeah. But it seems like that's the same too. It seems like this messaging has come out of nowhere. Like it's, it was quite sudden and it's been packaged in a way. And I don't even know exactly who's responsible for that. It seems like a very top down thing. It's not like we all as trans people all met one day and voted on this and, and came up with this messaging, like where it's being handed to us just as much as it's being handed to the general population. And I don't know who drafted this, who you know came up with this plan, but it seems like it was just um, designed, crafted, and then rolled out to, to society. Yeah, no, I agree. I think a lot of it, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with um, the fact that so many of the people who got, I mean, the trans trend kind of kicked off hardcore in around 2015. And I think a lot in those people who were in their like late teens, early 20s around that point and got swept up in in the in the like in the culture that is like the, the kind of the tumblr culture i think has a lot more impact than i think those us, us older people realized and i saw a lot of this uh, around because i'm living in a university city and a lot of those so even in 2017 they were just super gung-ho about all things trans and a lot of them were transitioning um you know to to indicate that they are part of that subculture that is trans right and and those people are now, you know, they've gotten PhDs and they're in positions of influence in these organizations. And we heard that, Aaron, like with the um, the, um, the 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 people who are crafting the APA's guidelines on treating children with gender dysphoria, they are all trans or non-binary themselves. And that's what qualifies them, according to the APA, to write these guidelines. And I think they're writing their own validation into these, you know, it's like it's gotten to the point where the young people swept up in it 
rather than rather than addressing that, they're they're just validating how right it was, how they made the right decision, how this is good. It was the only course they could have taken. And I think they're unloading a lot. I mean, this is one facet. I think there's a lot of socio-political reasons why we are here, but I think one facet that that's kind of not it's kind of overlooked is just how many of the people who have already who who were already harmed by the gender movement are now writing the gender movement uh is 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 kind of what what i see happening as part of it yeah no i i totally agree with that actually i i think that um like you said i don't know the exact timeline of when it happened but it it, it obviously like you said there were many people who were in their teens and 20s and who were graduating at a time when that really happened and i do know quite a bit about it you know about certain pushes in the school districts in public schools about teaching this stuff and that's been going on for some time so i mean most of the the research that i've done shows back about where you're looking about 10 to 15 years back is where this real surge came from and then like you said anybody who came any children behind that are, are getting fully indoctrinated with this now at this point. So like you said, all the people who were teens, 20s, have now graduated, got a PhD, and are now writing all this material and teaching all this material to these young minds. And, and, and as we all know, what's the quickest way to get to, you know, any group or any group in society, you want to get to the children first. So, I mean, you're, you start teaching this movement in school and then you're bringing up a group of activists and that's what we're seeing happening. You know, you know, we're seeing this like large group of activism coming below this. Now, I personally believe that there's a, I mean, there's many components to a lot of this, but I believe that there's a socialist movement under all of this as well. Um, but that's what just my personal opinion. Um, but um, I feel like that there's just a lot of things, um, you know, behind all of this. And I wish, we knew exactly where it was coming from, you know, because I feel like that's that's one of the hardest things. It's like it's it's constantly finger pointing. It's like it's coming from the the far left. It's coming from this. It, maybe it's the right who's just messing with the left. And like you know, it's just so many things. And it's like you know, I'm not even sure that I think to you know that's all a distraction, a finger pointing of who is you know it's just distracting us from who it's really coming from and and what the actual agenda behind all of it is, but. Um, to me, in the layers behind all of the gender ideology and the equity and, and all of that, to me, is, is just a lot of, uh, you know, has a lot of tides in socialism and, and pushing a socialist agenda. So. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have the same opinion you do. And, and I mean, going back to your comment about how the media is involved in that and, and how the media isn't. It's, it, I feel manipulated. I think the media is manipulating our society and is is causing a lot of that polarization because you're absolutely right that it's so strange how two neighbors who might have different media sources, right? One might be watching Fox News and the other might be watching, I don't know, what you know, something on, on the left, and they come up with completely different interpretations of world events. So completely divorced yeah. from one another, right? And and then and then hate each other because you think, well, you're you're stupid or you're a bigot or you're whatever because you think this way. But so I'm I'm of the habit like you are, where I try to look at multiple different media sources for information, you know, because you start to get a more complete picture of what might actually be happening in the world. Um, right. Because the media is so well, biased. 
Well, and I think too, we all we all grew up in a time where you know earlier when we were growing up, like the media to me at least seemed very honest. We didn't have these issues. Like no matter what channel you watched, you were getting the same news. The same, relatively, you know, yeah. Yeah. relatively, it was the same. There might have been a tw- you know a slight twist in in something, but it, you know, relatively, we were getting the the same news, the same media. It didn't really matter you know who who it was coming from you know i do think that the media has always had an agenda i mean you know no matter what i mean it's it's media it's entertainment it makes sense but um in general we we had no problem like at least knowing but like you said I, you know i grew up in a, in a time where it was very easy like even in my household even though i grew up in a christian conservative household my dad was like more liberal so like we would actually have like debates in the house and like it was normal to just like talk about political things and talk about things that were different and that we had different opinions on and you know one of i one of my friends in my my late 20s was like an older um an older lady who was like very christian conservative and didn't agree this was when i was still living as a lesbian and like didn't agree with my lifestyle but we were like great friends it was just something we had to talk about but she respected me and we respected each other because it it was about respect it wasn't about like this one issue will divide us and and, and we got to this point in society like you said where it was just like now we can't talk about anything like it, it's literally like i if you don't like this one thing like i hate you and, and i'm just like this isn't this isn't how society like a fully functioning society works you have to all be able to come to the table and talk about your opinions openly it's okay to have disagreements no not everybody should agree but we should, we, we should be able to openly come to the table and talk about those and not have people constantly attacking us for our views or opinions and and that's become one of the problems too is like our voices are getting shrouded in all of this by like the activists and by the the actual tras and the trans you know the radical activists of there and like i back to the parents like i've had so many parents reach out to me to be like i my version of what i thought a trans person is what i'm seeing on the media and the news and like they meet me or they talk to me and they're like holy crap there's like a normal trans person that's just like wants to live a normal life you know and i've had so many parents reach out to me and just be like thank you so much for like being able to sit down because like I'm a very open and honest person. Like if you reach out to me and I like I don't give a crap what questions you ask me. Like I want people to learn from my experience because I want people to truly understand what gender dysphoria is and what it does and the reasons why it it causes us to make a choice to medically transition, you know, and why that's needed. Because as we all know, you know, there's certain people on the right who are pushing to eradicate transgenderism. It's like, come on, dude. Like, you know, and of course, there's always going to be a push pull, right? There's always going to be a far left reaction, a far right reaction. But it's just like, people have to understand that we've always been here. We exist. We don't exist in the numbers that we're seeing today. There's obviously something going on, you know. Um, the numbers were relatively small prior to all of this. I think, like, Prior to the uptick of everything happening now, you know, people with gender dysphoria is like 0.05% of the world population. Um, so, like, to sit here and <laughs> the fact that, like, like I said, we've become this political football when we are literally like this much of the population is just like, uh, it gets frustrating at times. It just gets really frustrating. And that is the harm. That is the harm to trans people when this these kind of, I think, strange ideas get packaged and are sold by our media as this is what it means to be trans. Anyone who disagrees with 
that just way of thinking and how that's been packaged and taught and, you know, or the age appropriateness of teaching that stuff to children. It's like, if they think, if they can't separate the ideology from trans people, then they are going to dislike us. They're going to, and, and that right. I think is a harm that it's doing to our community because we don't all think that way. We don't all agree with it. Some of us are just as appalled by, by some of what the activists are doing as as uh, as the far right is, but the, but they're not able. But we know, right? We know that I am separate from that ideology because we haven't. It hasn't always been taught that way. That's is a fairly new manis- manifestation. So we can see the separation, but someone who does hasn't met the average trans person and talked to them, they just think that is what it means to be trans. So they just, they, you know, they're they're rejecting all of it, including including us, the individuals. Right, exactly. And and like we said, that is mostly to do with media and the way media projects us. Because like, you know, like I said, it's constantly like, Oh, I didn't know there were like normal trans people out here. Like, I get that's one of the comments I get the most. I'm just like, really? Like, I, you know, and I think that's what, like I said, just what bothers me the most because it's like, why are we being, you know, picked on as like the small, very small mi- minority of the population to be like broadcast across all of this? And it's hurting like the true transgender, tra- transsexual people who, who are like, really in this like you know that don't agree like most of the people i you know i talk to like obviously i do talk to people on the left and but i've been able to get through to a lot of people like even people in my own life and people like if i sit down and have a conversation with these people even if it's on zoom or we as long as we meet face to face and i can talk to you or talk to you on the phone or whatever almost every single person who may have come across, like, let's say, let's just use child transition. If they're okay with that, you know, they support that and they support puberty blockers. If you, if they sit down with me for an hour or two hours, I've changed their mind. And that's I, almost everybody I've talked to. It's come down to that because I can, I can show proof. I can show personal experience. And, and most of them will come to me and say, wow, I didn't even hear any of this because I only watched this news network. You know, and as we also know, like um, the algorithms of all of our social medias and Google is is also keeping you in your bubble, it's mm-hmm. keeping you in what you want. So it's actually something I, I recommend to people is to read 20 or 30 articles that are all on the political spectrum, because at least your Google searches won't be inundated, because I'm sure you guys have gotten confused the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you guys have gotten into like Twitter spats with people or or Facebook spats where you're like trying to fight out an issue. And, you know, they're like, well, I Googled that the first 20 things that popped up on mine aren't anything having to do with drag shows, you know, and they're like, oh, (laughs) but you could, the second picture on yours happens to be a drag store, you know, and it's like we get into this huge argument about like, oh, well, you must be on the right. And I'm like, no, I just happened to look up enough articles. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, those pictures that you're showing me are on my top 20, just not in the same order. I mean, it's proof of the algorithm, you know, and Twitter to me, like, I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I try to, that's one I try to stay the most off of, because to me, it can just be a cesspool at times. I just feel like 
people, there is a lot of good things that happened on Twitter, and I've met some awesome people. I mean, both of you, especially I've met on Twitter, and I've met a lot of great people, but a lot of the people on there are just there to fuel the fire, and so I try not to interact with those people, but there are the sometimes those late night, you know, I'm just in a mood, and somebody <laughs> says something, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. There are a lot of bots on social media, too, right? So especially the oh, Twitter yeah. with it. Um, it's one of the things that, that trans activists have done because a lot of them are very tech savvy. So um, a lot of people don't realize this, but the, our government uses AI technology to draw information from social media platforms to gauge public opinion about things um, rather than po old fashioned polling. And, you know, so if you create a bot that can reproduce your message, you know, a hundred or a thousand times, it, it really skews the data on what public opinion is. Um, yeah. And here in Canada, I don't know what, what it's like down in the States, but here in Canada, all of our major news sources, especially the federal ones, are all government controlled. And um, there's a lot of publication bans happening in Canada right now, a lot of bills being passed. Um, there's talks about, um, like Fox News, for example, being axed from all of our, our uh, cable packages so that Canadians won't be allowed to, to watch Fox News. And a crackdown on um, news sources being able to post on things like Facebook and and Twitter and all those social media sites. So like Google and um, Facebook, I think it's called Meta now is the organization that runs Meta and Instagram. So Google and, and Meta have both announced that they're axing all Canadian news from their platforms because of bills that Canadians are run. So our government is basically controlling what we're allowed to see and have access to through um, television, so, so broadcasting and, and internet. So we even gender dysphoria alliance where we're, we're concerned, you know, that our government could step in and start censoring our content. So it's, it's absolutely oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's the same here. It's not that bad yet <laughs> here, but it's, it's, I feel like we're at a point of where it's getting to that. I mean, cancel culture is at its high, you know, it's at all time high right now. And we're, you know, as we have Elon claiming Twitter is a free speech platform yet tweeting out that certain words aren't going to be allowed on this platform. Like, um, you know, it's, it's hard here because, um, my wife and I constantly talk about how, you know, we're, we're supposedly the land of the free, but we, there's actually a lot of, uh, <laughs> we actually have a lot of our rights infringed on daily, um, by, by just social media government and certain things, but, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they obviously can do control. I mean, there, I haven't heard any talk about, uh, stopping any messaging on social media or anything like that, but I do know that they control what we see. Yeah. through the media and what is shown because you know sometimes there will be i'm sure you guys know too like uh let's say local things that happen or you know i live in michigan and um so obviously a, a lot of crime i'm not near detroit but a lot of crime happens in detroit detroit is also a beautiful town and the downtown area they've brought it up but there's a lot of crime in the outskirts of detroit and so you know, there's a lot of stuff you never ever hear of because it just happens here all the time. But if you actually get, you know, dive down, dive deep into the local news, you'll see stuff like that, you know. And um, that, like I said, I think that's causing a huge problem is the algorithms of all of the all of the social media because social media connects us all globally, right? So, um, you know, 
whether each government has a hand in that. And we know China, like we know China's government has a hand in their own, um, the way that they produce their media and don't allow certain content there. Mm -hmm. We know Russia does that. Other countries do that. Um, so to sit here and say, as much as I don't think, I'm not positive, like I'd have to do the research to see if the U.S. ever admitted that they control that, you know what I mean? But um, to sit here and say that that's not happening would just be foolish of me to say because that's literally happening in most countries. I mean, um, and I think that that's something that I wish, at least here, I know in the States, I wish would government would take a little less control and give the states back a little more control mm -hmm. here because, I mean, that's, that's really what we were founded on. And, and here we are constantly when with the government's taking control and, and, and then, uh, you know, the monopoly of the market as well, of all these yeah. tech companies and everything buying out everything. And it's like, you know, that that's scary to me, like coming to a place of no, no paper currency. We're getting very close to that mm -hmm. scary because, you know, I'm sure as you guys know, if we, if we get to a place of no paper currency at all, we can literally freeze any of our bank accounts at any time. Yeah. <laughs> which they've, so. which they trialed here in Canada already. So when, when can um, Canadian truckers had the truckers convoy and the media distorted that whole story right from the beginning. So, if, you know, it, they made it sound like it was total mayhem on in Ottawa that all these truckers came into the city and it, it sounded like it was utter chaos. But I know people in Ottawa who said, no, it's been a peaceful protest. The truckers has actually had permits to park their trucks downtown um and there were stories of you know media sort of planting things like a, uh, i think it was like a swastika flag or something that that somebody planted for a photo op to show how oh all these truckers are all just racist but it was all media planted right it to skew the story <laughs> and um and the truckers so they tracked who some of the truckers were and they froze their bank accounts as you know and, and yet being able to peacefully protest is part of our um, human rights and freedoms here in Canada. But yeah, the way that our government is, is stepping on our, our rights, we don't have freedom of speech like you guys do. So your, your constitution protects freedom of speech. We don't have that. Our charter of rights and freedoms doesn't cover free speech. It does cover our right to assembly. So we are allowed to, to protest, assemble, um, and we have a right to, to think freely, but we don't have a right to speak freely. So it's it's a little easier, perhaps, to censor us. <laughs> the news and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. We could probably uh, talk about this for, uh, for, for a long, long time. We're kind of a few. Um, oh, crap. I'm sorry. Kind of a, <laughs> deep into it. Um, uh, but I do have one more question for you before we let you go, Mark. And that is, can you tell us about uh, Transsexual Unity, uh, that organization you're on the board of? What are you guys up yeah, to? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Uh, we were we're a group of people that a group of transsexual people. Um, we do have one uh, biological female that's part of our group as well. Um, uh, Stephanie, the biological female, she's um, at Puberty Blocker Suck. She's had um, life experience taking puberty blockers as a biological woman, um, in which ways that it has destroyed her life and chemically castrated her. And she um, is very, very knowledgeable in that field. So we have her on, she's very helpful to help us with uh, talk about the puberty blockers because she has all the information and, and, and the personal experience to speak about as just a biological woman having those issues, let alone what it could do to children. Um, and then the other group, all the rest of us are, are transsexuals who just came together and um, 
you know, obviously we wanted to speak out against the um, LGBTQ agenda that's happening, the push for medical transition of children, um, the LGBTQ agenda in schools. And, and really our focus is to find middle ground and to, to reach the people who might not understand us or might want to ask questions like we we always uh, you know want to have open discussions uh we hold weekly twitter spaces um and that's something we've been really putting a lot of work into right now because we're really just trying to open discussion um i have noticed that in our recent ones it's been pretty hard and, and, and when we when we do our spaces we we will post like a thought-provoking question you know usually to hopefully bring in People from both sides, because we we want opposition. We want to be able to talk about the issues so we can find solutions. You know, we want to be able to come together, find solutions on these issues, so we can actually like move back to a normal, progressive society of being able to talk about these issues. You know, um, so it's been difficult uh, in the beginning. We did get like some people that would come in with the opposition, but it's been kind of hard to find opposition lately, which. I, Kind of annoying. So, if anybody's <laughs> watching this, please, and you oppose any of these brilliant, please go on and like oppose us because, like, you know, we really want to encourage those debates and, you know, and not have them end in, you know, like, obviously, we don't want any hate. We don't want anybody, like, you know, bashing each other. We don't allow that. But to have general conversation about why you might think puberty blockers are safe and why we don't think they're safe and you know i think we have to get to this point in society where we can just talk to each other and just be open and normal with each other and get back to a place we were like many years ago that i can remember growing up where it's okay to have different opinions and it's okay it doesn't mean that we're not a community it doesn't mean that you know and that's what i feel like has happened you know the lgbtq community is like ripping at the seams and we're constantly we're infighting our own community and that's something we should not be doing like we should be able to come to the table and say hey we have differing opinions and we can come to the table and talk about them and maybe we'll change each other's minds maybe we won't but that doesn't mean that i hate you or you hate me it means we can just walk away and still fight for any possible rights that we may need or still have but you know i i shouldn't have to you know i've gone i'm sure you guys get this too but i'm constantly called transphobic and i, I shouldn't have to like calling a trans trans person transphobic just like cracks me up in general like it's just such an oxymoron and so it's just like I'm just, you know, I just really, our whole point is just to get the message across and show people that there are just very normal based transsexual people who just, who had gender dysphoria, transitioned to better their life. They just want to live and present as the opposite sex and move on with society. That's all we wanted to do. We're not pushing an agenda. We we're, we don't want to, we don't, you know, want your kids to medically transition. And we want people to listen to people with our experience and understand that like we know we went through it we've had complications we've had things happen we can sit here and say through life experience i know that's not smart for a child to do um you know and also have the ability for anybody to come and ask any questions like we allow all questions we don't care you know like we aren't the type of group to like get offended by a question you know we just want to be as open as possible because i found personally and many of the people i work with in my group have found that through that openness is how we really build bridges and and create community and unity and that is really what we're trying to do is build back our community build back the lgbt community 
as a community with opposing opinions because that's fine. It's perfectly fine to do that and still love each other. You know, so that's really the core of it. Sounds like a good group and a good goal. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks so much for coming and talking to us. It's uh, it's been great to to meet you. Uh, you know, I've interacted with you a bit on Twitter, but it's been great to actually just have a conversation. Yeah, no, it was awesome. I mean, it was great. Been... If you guys, I'd be, I'd come back anytime if you want to. I was going to cool. say, actually, I don't know how your wife would feel about this, but um, I'm really fascinated with the fact that you transitioned within a marriage, right? And so if, if she was willing to talk, that be, might be a great uh, great episode to have is to tell what that was like from both both sides of that, if she's willing, uh, of course, even if, yeah. if she's not, if you want to just have it come back to tell us exactly just from your perspective. But yeah, I think that would be a really good conversation. Yeah, no, um, I'll talk to her. She's actually been asked that many times. Um, we did a podcast a couple of years ago. It's not available anymore, but we actually did do a podcast like with it early in my transition where we did talk about a lot of that stuff. But I think she's getting, we, my wife and I will be starting a podcast coming up soon too in the future where we're going to talk about LGBTQ issues and, uh, you know, relationship advice. Um, so, um, but I do think that's important, and I'm constantly harping her on it, so I'll be sure to harp her on it again. But uh, <laughs> either way, either way, if she's not willing, I have a lot. I, obviously, we've talked a lot, so I can express a lot of the stuff that she's told me um, through that as well. But it's, it would be best, obviously, to get her full um, experience of that. So, yeah, I'll definitely talk to her. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again, Mark. All right. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.